tune in, tone up. Your one-stop shop for guitar tricks, tips, techniques and advice. With me, Gary Shilliday, and my own excellent teacher, Dan Davis. Guitar Lesson 38 is a study of Slash with a focus on what we can learn from Saul Hudson's style and approach to writing licks, riffs and solos. We start by using a Paradise City inspired rolling lick and then move on to the legato solo from the frantic end of that song. Next we examine the riff from the beginning of Sweet Child of Mine and what makes it tick. Finally we consider what learning points we can take from the repeated phrase from the end of November Rain. I'm sorry it's taken so long to get this episode out, but I promise there will be more soon, and I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Also, keep looking out on our YouTube channel for some new videos, including one from this lesson. Thank you for listening, and for all your comments and support. Earlier this year, Dan, I uh, went and saw a band which was a childhood favourite of mine mm-hmm. up at the O2 in London. And what oh, band might that be? Guns and Roses. Bums and Poses. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the one. Not in this lifetime tour. We uh-huh. had Axel Rose together with Slash, Richard Fortas playing on uh, guitar as well. Axel Rose's guitarist. From Guns N' Roses. Was it Chinese Democracy album, wasn't it? Exactly. He got a few extra people in, didn't he, for that one? Yeah, that's it. And uh, they did have Duff McKagan, I think. But Izzy Stradlin was missing Mm -hmm. after a bit of an argument, I believe. But yeah, it was a great gig. And came away buzzing. And Slash is a great player. Loads of people have asked about Slash. Mm -hmm. Uh, A few people have said, you know, maybe you could do a podcast on Slash. And here we are. And here we are. I'd love to uh, hear your take on some of it. And Okay. What bits of Slash's playing appeal to you the most, would you say? I would say, as far as Slash goes, it's... I mean, his tone is great, isn't it? But That's one thing, you know, mm. that Les Paul, balls-out rock is just brilliant. It's that kind of laid-back approach... Where the notes seem to... Is it is he using a lot of legato? I don't know. The notes seem to kind of roll off. And big gaps or big intervals that he uses mm. in his playing and his riffs. His riffs are great. So there's a few things I'd start with. How, I mean, about, how about yourself? How, what would you uh, say? Slash, I've always had a, a sort of funny kind of relationship with Slash as a guitar player in terms of sort of where he stands in my... My yeah. list of favourites. I must admit, when I when I first heard Appetite for Destruction, I was still at school. I was like in my last year, like the lower sixth at school. And I thought, blimey, that's one aggressive album. Yeah. You know, for an album that you wouldn't really class as metal or thrash. It sounded pretty aggressive. Yes. You know, at, yeah, at, yeah. at the time. The playing, I sort of couldn't quite make up my mind about Slash's playing at the time. 
he's got this kind of sound which is all his own, which is what we should all strive for, really, is a sound that's our own. And most players which are, whether you class them as a technical virtuoso or whether you class them as somebody who's just highly individual, take someone like Kirk Bain, for example. Even Steve Vice said, it's very hard to play like Kirk Cobain. Because he had a certain approach on the guitar. He used a guitar, as one person said once, like a hammer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Really, you know, to hammer out his songs and to get his message across. And really, for for the, the fairly sort of basic sort of stuff that he was playing, he got an awful lot of mileage out of that. And yeah. he definitely had his own sound. Now, whether that's a sound that appeals to you or you want to buy into a little bit or none of it or all of it, that's entirely up to you. And every guitar player, I guess, needs to be an individual and needs to be individually recognisable by their tone and by their approach. Yeah, to really sort of make them somebody that that stands out from the crowd. Now, with Slash, he came along at a time really where we were slap bang in the middle of the Shred era, or at least it was still going to go on for another two or three years. And Slash sort of came along and kind of like changed our guitar sensibilities a little bit. Because he had a little bit of technique going on. There were certain things which certain, you know, he certainly had a sort of a little bit of a turn of speed. But he had this slightly rougher, readier kind of tone. Mm. And as a band, rather than as individual player, as an individual player, Guns N' Roses had this slightly kind of, sort of punky kind of edge to their sound. And as I've, I've said in a previous podcast about Slash, he's got this kind of, slippery, slutty sort of approach. Do you know what I mean when I yeah. say that? Well, it's, it's their whole it's how... image, isn't it? It's the way they look and everything. Yeah. It's all pretty. But all of his tone and everything, it's like if you're, you know, if you're listening to a Vinnie Moore album or an Ingvay Malmsteen yeah. album, it's pretty damn precise. Yeah. The playing's pretty damn precise. There's no room for looseness. Whereas really with Slash, he's got this kind of quite loose... Yeah kind of almost bluesy kind of vibe in places. Very you pentatonic, know. isn't it? And there with a few notes thrown in. Yeah, there, there is and there isn't. You know, there's... Mm. I think he's one of those guys who's... You know, he's definitely, you know, done a bit of his homework and stuff. But I wouldn't put him in a sort of a shredder category. He's not really quite like that. But he uses a, you know, a bit of the Dorian mode, quite a lot of the, yeah. the pentatonic, the blues. But there's also some other... Bits like the Mixolydian mode, which is employed quite extensively in Sweet Child of Mine through the verses for the fills. And even in that song, The Run. Do you know The Run? You know the thing I mean? Well, in his solo. Well, he's just about to go into the solo. Well, he goes into part of the solo and then a number of bars and rounds into the solo. He does this harmonic minor thing. Yeah, it's something along the Something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not here to copy Slash verbatim, but you start to see with things like that, people's scale choices. Yeah. You know, the way their mind's working. So he's done little things like that as well. So there, there's a little bit of cleverness in his playing too. Yeah. So where can we start? Shall we start at the beginning? I think it always works well when we've got a, a riff and we look a little bit at the rhythm of the player. Well, I'm gonna, Do you I'm, think I mean, I'm going to break into a, a bit of a riff? As I say, we're not here. We say this every time. 
we haven't yet had any Burks kind of go, oh, I think you'll find it goes differently to that. <laughs> you know, you missed a bit of feedback which sits on 17 ledger lines above the stave. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but yeah, we're not here to kind of copy people infinitum, but we're here to see what we can learn. I don't know if you've, you're familiar with Phil Hilborn, who does things for Guitarist Magazine, and he used to do things for Total Guitar. Yeah. He's, he's running a series of quite interesting little articles in Guitarist Magazine and videos. Check them out, guys. He's a cool player. He's a good guy. A very, very good player. You've had, you've had some lessons with him, haven't I you? I had a lesson yeah. with him back in the day. He's, yeah, he's, he's a good, good bloke. And he's doing a kind of what can we learn from series. And it's quite interesting. So he's picking maybe one aspect of a player. And again, like ourselves, instead of copying that player, he's showing you what we can learn from their particular approach. So he's done one on Gary Moore. I think he's done one on ACDC. He's just done one on Scales. Yeah. And we're yeah, doing... A really useful approach, I think. Yeah, I think so. And no, hence we've... Well, hence we've borrowed it. <laughs> well... Thanks, Phil. <laughs> thanks, Phil. Well, we were actually here first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we, we're going to do things sort of in the style of to kind of give you a few ideas of what might be used. So I've come up with a little riff. It's been running around my head. It's great. My yeah. noggin has had, had this kind of riff going around. I thought that kind of encapsulates some of the kind of slash riffs. So it goes something like this. <laughs> How do you go about playing that, Dan? Does that sound slash enough? That's, uh, yeah, really slash. I can't think which tune it's, it sounds a bit like, actually. Well, it's, I was thinking in my head. I was thinking the kind of Paradise City, you've got that kind of semitone. Uh, breakdown. Da, 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 which starts in F sharp. So I've got the F sharp power chord there on the side. Yeah. And at the end. Like that. Yeah. B and then A power chord first. C power chord, B power chord, A. So F sharp down to E. F, F sharp, F sharp. That kind of thing. Probably play it like differently every time. Yeah, no, but, but you I, get the I, I idea. I want to get the rhythm of it. Yeah, that kind of thing. Getting there yeah. slowly. Yeah. 
gives it its sound? What gives it its slashness? Partly it's that chromatic thing. He seems to love some of the chromatic stuff, you know. So that little open first second step played in chords as well. Yeah. He loves all that kind of stuff. And also he might even do the root on the D string with the fifth on the A string. So you get two, three, four. Playing, so playing we're instead of using the bass chords. notes or the power chords, we're sort of using the the centre. Are you notes. not using them at all? So you can imagine if you're yeah. doing like if you were slush slash sorry, <laughs> and <puppy>. you were, <laughs> every slash guitarist puppy. has a nickname. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's Dave, Dave, <laughs> Dave Gilmore, Dave, oh, or, Dave. or slush, Dave. Slash. <laughs> Slash. Joe Salami. Yeah. Satriani. <laughs> Steve Burr. Uh, <laughs> Steve Burr. Steve Burr. <laughs> so you, like, maybe for the intro where you wanted a bit thicker and a bit meatier, you could include the bass. Over. <laughs> then when the verse is underway... Some of that as well. Yeah. Bending both strings. So I'm bending the two middle strings with the fourth. Down to the second. So you get that kind of a bit of another sort of slashism, yeah. Now, you might ask yourself, where are the sort of, you know, what is, sorry, the, the use of playing like someone else or looking into someone's play? Well, for one, I guess if you're an aficionado of the genre, of yeah. the actual player themselves, it's worth having a little look at the nuts and bolts that make up their style. Also, it can be an inspiration for writing songs. There's many a famous song where someone was trying to be like someone else or or a guitarist impersonating someone else. I remember hearing years ago, I think it was on the instructional video, that the awesome Greg Howe, like so many of us, you know, before the internet got out there and we could see what every player was doing, we had to go and buy a video or, or wait for it to come on TV and things like Shred, that was just quite a rare occurrence. So, you know, you had to listen to records and work things out from records and start again and keep going until you got it. And so when Greg Howe was trying to work out what Alan Holdsworth, amazing (laughs) British guitarist, was doing, he said, I heard all these sounds. And he said, my way of imitating those sounds because of what he was doing was by using tapping. And he said, that's how I ended up developing my own technique for tapping. 
because I was trying to impersonate Alan Holdsworth. He said, I didn't realise that Alan Holdsworth was not tapping at all, but it was massive all stretches. Massive, <laughs> massive stretches yeah. using four thing, you know, four note string scales using every finger on a string. And he said that was what led him down that road. Yeah. You know. Happy accidents almost. Happy again, accidents. Yeah. So it, there's yeah. nothing wrong with borrowing from other people. And we all borrow from everybody else. You don't necessarily want to be somebody else. But there are some sounds that are so likeable, so usable, so nice to to play on the guitar and to hear, or a little bit different from what everyone else is doing. I always think it's a bit boring playing just the same way as everyone else. I want yeah. to play something different. And sometimes actually looking at different people's styles enables you to tap into some quite individual aspects of their styles, which over certain music, if you're playing in a covers band even, you may find quite useful if you're covering a Guns N' Roses track or even if mm. you kind of like that style. You know, if I'm if I'm playing over some songs, I'm very think, much thinking sort of right, a kind of classic rock. And yeah. over, over other songs, I'm kind of thinking pull the pin and go for it. Yeah. You know, other ones I'm thinking bluesy or melodic and, and I may even be thinking sort of, you know, what, what would that guitar player do? Yeah, that's I suppose as your ear develops, if you're like writing a song or arranging a song and you start hearing, oh, a slash type riff would sound really good in that bit. You want to know where to go with it, don't you? you wanna, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's our little riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we can do. Let's have a look at maybe what we would play over the top. So what can we play over the top in a kind of slash-like style, presuming that we've got this rolling riff happening? It's looking a bit Phrygian to me, but I mean, I'm. Well, I mean, that's necessarily is, yeah. I would say it's more, you know, centered Orient. in the bluesy side of yeah. things because you've got the F sharp as kind of like your key. Yeah. But the C, if you think in an F sharp minor pentatonic scale, if we add the C, oh, yeah, the blues land. Yeah. No, yeah, the blues note. So we're. And then that would make it kind of major. We've got the major seven in there and the minor seven in there. But I guess the F is like a passing chord. Yeah, okay, okay. So really the... Yeah. That's everything but the F. Yeah. It's not lingering on the F. Yeah, okay. Okay, yep, yeah, cool. So I'm going to try some slashisms over the top if you'd be so good oh, enough. I'll see what I can do. Bash yeah. out the rhythm. Okay, Sounding so good. what am I doing the slash-esque there? Because it's, it's, it's not my normal <laughs> style of playing, is it? I've definitely no. turned on the slash hat. 
yeah, on the I was concentrating hat. a lot on what I was doing as well. Sounds so pretty I... disgusting, you know, put on my slush hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I've, some I've kind just, of special club, what is this? Just slashed all over my guitar. Oh. Uh, <laughs> nice. Wasn't on fire, why do that? Now, um, I'm, again, I'm, I don't want a torrent of mail saying, oh, slash doesn't fret it like that. <laughs> this is my kind of take on the slash theme. Yeah. So I'm listening to the notes and the way he kind of puts things together. And this is just one small aspect of his playing. So I started... I was listening a bit, but you had some big, big, long, sustained bends. I did. And, uh, you know, you were you were really going town on those. And then after those long, sustained bends, there'd be some quick flurries and runs and stuff as well. Yeah, but nothing too technical. No. I started off essentially in the F-sharp blue scale. Yeah. But I fretted things in a, a slightly unorthodox fashion. So I started in the normal place, but what I did, I bent from the fourth fret on the B to the fifth fret on the B. So I bent up to the dominant seventh note. So we're at F. The E is the note I want. I'm bending up. Yeah. So I've essentially bent from the sixth, which is D sharp, to E. Yeah. So essentially I'm playing a little bit of Dorian in there. Yeah. So I've bent up. Then I had this phrase, which is ah. quite slash-esque, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're basically then going between the fourth and fifth, with a hammer on a pull-off, on the B, and then we're going six and five on the G. So we're going down to the blues note from and the C sharp. Is that a fifth? Yeah, fifth. Yeah. Very so, bluesy, actually, isn't it? Yeah. It is quite bluesy, but also the way he plays it is quite laid back. I always felt whenever I played a Les Paul, unless I was absolutely going for it on it, that actually the natural home because every guitar you can do a whole bunch of stuff on anything from a Squire Telecast yeah. to, to you know like the, the top of the line Jackson or something, but some guitars definitely encourage you to be a certain way to play a certain way. Yeah. You know, it's like I feel if I play my my Sir Modern, it just begs for shred. Yeah, you know, it wants it wants you to make the most of it, and it encourages you to with its tone and with its playability. If I'm playing the exotic, you you feel like you ought to take more of a bluesy sort of take on things. PRS is quite a precision instrument. The PRS is it, it kind of cuts across the tracks, but it definitely yeah. feels like a like a rock guitar should. Yeah, yeah. But the PRS has a little bit of that kind of vintage vibe about it with the set neck and the kind of Gibson-like overtones. and Yeah. You know, it's it's definitely got something of the classic about it. The Les Paul always makes me want to kind of hang back. Now, if you think of kind of Slash's playing style, for the most part, that is sort of the way he kind of plays, isn't it? Yeah. Quite bluesy, a little bit sloppy, a little bit slutty. 
Yeah. And so that little rolling feel, that's the kind of like very slashy <laughs> kind of thing that you yeah. do. I then went up here. So I played the same thing, but up Some here. Well, not the right. same thing, but I went up here. So I went to the minor pentatonic up here, did your classic double bend, little finger on the 17th of the beat, yep. other fingers, first, second, and third, leading up to the 16th fret on the G, yep. pushing the G string up, create that double bend. And with the bend, you notice rather than just going whoop, straight up to it, I'm kind of eking it out like it's kind of a painful kind of thing. Yeah. And this, again, is all about the feel factor. Yeah. A lot of music, and, and it's funny, you know, our good friend Nigel Cole, who's having lessons at the moment, uh, who came to me via the podcast, we were talking about his films that he makes, you know, being a film director. And he said a film is all about tension and release. Yeah. It's all about building up to that moment. And then you get the release, and it's like a relief. Yeah, music's totally all about that, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's an amazing parallel, and that's what we were we were kind of talking about. And with solos especially, it's that tension and release thing. It's that having the audience on the edge of their seat. Is he going to make that note when he bends up like that? Is he going to all? Because it makes it sound like it's almost more effort for you. Yeah, it's the same with rock singers when they sing slightly flat to make it sound like it's... You know, the note they're trying for is so like Banging on the yeah. edge of the door, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of straining up to that high F sharp bending at the 17th beat. Nice. Bit more on there. That's a bit tight. Next comes again another little slashism. We're going to... So we're pulling off 17 to 14 on the B. And then 17, 16. Yeah. A little solo. Yeah. You got that? Is that all right? Yeah, I think so. I'll... uh... So far, it goes something like this. Yeah. Okay, let's. I'll give it. I'll give it a go. The other thing I did, as you quite rightly said, was an overbend. So I think I also bent up to a note. Yeah. Or something similar. Yeah. yeah. 
So That's quite squealy. Yeah, so where like we, it. for a lesbos, it's very squealy. <laughs> So right. when we hit an overbend, this was a favourite of Jimmy Page's. You've got to remember, whoever you're dealing with has probably listened to a whole bunch of stuff as well. Yeah. So when you're listening to Slash and dissecting his licks, you're also going to find a little bit of other people's playing in there as well. You can't yeah. not, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ozzy Osbourne once famously said, with all a bunch of thieves. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very, very true. Yeah. Um, so the, the Jimmy Page style overbend, we're going to bend from the 17th on the top string, essentially up to the 19th. And then we're going to release it back down. And then we're going to overbend it and release it back. So an overbend, essentially, for those who are not too familiar, I'm going to run through this because we had a little video on YouTube all about bending. Yeah, and it proved to be our top video for people kind of taking it in, liking it, watching it. Yeah, so, just testing out our YouTube channel. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, maybe we'll do a little bit more of that for you folks. So there's so many different kinds of bending, different ways you can bend, different techniques you can use to get different effects. An overbend, for those who aren't so sure, is where you go beyond the note which you would naturally aim for. Yeah. So when we're here on the seventeenth, the nineteenth would be an obvious note to go for. Yeah. So when we overbend, we're bending actually a little bit past that yeah. to the C, which is the flat five. But to add a bit of drama so it doesn't sound like I've bent too far and I've got it all wrong, Yeah. I bend up to the normal note, release back down, then bend straight up to the sharp note, release back down. Yeah. And that adds quite a nice little vibe there. Yeah, okay. So carrying on with our theme of the Slash-like riffs and licks, as most diehard fans will probably have gathered, my little semitone stepper was also a little bit of a nod to Paradise City. Yes. Now, we know with Paradise City at the end, Slash kind of goes a bit nuts. So we're going to show you how to go nuts. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so we're going to take our riff and we're going to kind of step out the pace for a start. Okay. The closest I could get to Paradise City yeah. without it being Paradise City. No, that's pretty good. So, we've got a little kind of smoke on the water-like figure on the fourth and the fourth. Yeah, Frets of the A and the D. So, fifth on the A, root on the E. And so, second time around, oh, it ends, by the way, folks, on the, the second fret of the, the D and the G and... The middle two strings. Yep. This also gets us around copyright, I just thought I'd say that. <laughs> yeah, it definitely <laughs> does. Yes, yeah. So the similar thing. So it starts the same. 
to our riff. Now, you may recall back in the day, Slash did this figure over the end of Paradise City where he had this legatory triplet kind of thing. So I'm going to show you how to do that. Okay, okay. This, I think, is probably one of those cases of it sounding a little bit more tricky Yeah. than it really is in reality. But, of course, you need to put a bit of practice in just to move your fingers, as it were. But there's no real complicated shapes or anything It's all very like symmetrical. Yet. It looks quite symmetrical. Yeah. So what I've done, I've taken the skeleton of the F-sharp... <laughs> minor pentatonic yep. scale and I've added to it the blues note and in fact between the, the 14th and 16th fret of the A string we've got the blues note the, yep. on the 15th that gives us a little three week between the 14th and 16th of the D I've put the F again just to hammer on to keep that triplet consistency. We've then got on the G and B, the 14th, 16th and 17th frets. So that gives us the blues note. The normal sort of thing we get on the G string with the F sharp blues scale. 14, 16, 17. A G string. Oh, yeah. I'm going to play the same thing on the top two, which is yeah, yeah. all Dorian mode. So we're putting in the sixth yeah. on the 16th fret between the 14th and the 17th on the B, yeah. and the ninth G sharp between the 14th and the 17th of the top string. Okay. So. So we've got three notes per string. Yeah. So that gives us consistency. Three notes of string. Easy yeah, for timing. Nice and symmetrical, nice and organised. Also, on the thickest string, on the E, we can duplicate what we've done on the top E if we want. Yep. And play the 14, 16 and 17. Now, this is a case also of, of this being quite useful in your own playing. Remember, it's the notes you linger on that people really notice because they start connecting it to the backing that you're playing so they can hear whether it's in or out of tune because yeah. they've got a reference point, that being the cause which you're playing over. So if you're not hanging on to things for too long, and I'm not advocating playing any old crap when you want a fast lick, but if you are not lingering on a note, you can often put in a chromatic passing note to keep the flow or to keep the triplet feel in this case so that it sounds more like a barrage of notes and more technical yeah. and more complex than it really is. And actually that F, because that's the one that really stands out, isn't it, as being out of the Dorian and out of the blues note. Yeah. It's in your riff as well. It is. So, exactly yeah. that. Another reason why I picked it. 
Nice. Now, it's also good practice. We're going to go play legato here. So far from picking every note, anyone who's listened to Paradise City, which is pretty much everybody, unless you've been living on Mars for the last 20 years, <laughs> um, <laughs> will know that you, you're not picking every note. He's kind of picking the beginning of a line or something along those lines. It's okay. not even true legato where you're hammering out a nowhere. He's literally picking the first note, I think, of each line or thereabouts and moving on to the next string and doing the same. Yeah. So it's also quite good practice for your playing in general to have a simple pattern like this that you can pick. Going up and down. Yeah, definitely. So, could you give me the Larry part of the riff and yeah. I shall demonstrate? Oh, if I remember it, I'll give it a go. <laughs> Try one, two, one, two, three. <laughs> So what I was kind of doing under that was I, I had the, the sort of Paradise City kind of thing. Picking out parts of that parts whole of that thing. whole kind of structure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, nice, yeah. That sounds really good. <laughs> so let's look at another aspect, an overdone aspect of Slash's playing. Okay. Well, we can't really have an article all about Slash without talking about Sweet Child of Man. Oh, yes, for the uh, riff at the beginning. <laughs> well, it's not going to be anything else, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did talk briefly about the harmonic minor run. Yeah. That was quite an oddity, but it's actually that's quite a nice learning point as well. He found a space in the chords where he yeah. could put in a little harmonic minor run and it, it kind of breaks up the solo kind of nicely. But let's look at the famous bit. Now you you've got the bit that everybody knows, so we're going to do a sort of a passage of that, I think. Yeah. To break it down into kind of what's making it tick. So, let's pick G. <laughs> Back to 
for reasons of copyright, we've sort of done a pastage yep. kind of thing. If you were doing library music and somebody said, I want it to sound like Sweet Child of Mine, but it's not. Yes. You would yeah. go, have this. <laughs> <laughs> so, on the real thing, as we all know, you yeah. get this kind of effect. Apparently, it was an exercise that Slash came up with for picking. Right, okay. That's uh, how it started yeah, um, I mean, not kind of in a Paul Gilbert way, but yeah, he had to kind of judge, obviously, missing out a string and then coming back and then missing out a string and yeah. coming back with himself again. So I've done a similar, very similar thing. Yeah, maybe we should write this right. Okay, <laughs> okay. We've got a great song idea. Yeah. Oh, we're in court. Uh, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. How do you plead? <laughs> Guilty, Your Honour. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never get away. Did you copy it off Slash? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Came up with it myself. String skipping idea. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I love it. When he said string skipping, I was going to take it into the garden and do some skips over an eat. I love it. <laughs> so it sort of adheres to this thing of kind of having a note and then keeping that as almost like your note you're going to go back to for the duration you're on that chord. Yep. And playing other notes off of here. So I've picked the D note. I know mine doesn't sound as nice as Slash, but it's the thought that counts. Yeah, yeah. So I started on a D note as we're playing over a G chord. We couldn't possibly play over a D chord like the record. And I've gone from the G, from the D there, sorry, to the octave D, which is exactly, exactly what it does on the record for the real thing too. And then I've gone 12, 13, 12 on the B, so notes B, C, B. 13, 12, 13, sorry. And then 15. That's it. Now, on the record, very cleverly, the way it's kind of angled is it starts on a D note over the D. It then plays the same riff, but starts... On an E note. E, yeah. Now that's because over a C, the E represents the major third, so yeah. that fits in with the chords. It then puts the starting note onto the 12th fret of the G string, giving you a G. Yeah. So that fits over the G chord, which is the one before it goes back to the D at the end of the chord progression, the turnaround. Yeah. So here, I've just linked it in loosely, really, with the chords, rather than playing a ball like that. Okay. okay. One, two, three, four. <laughs> You get the idea. Now, what can we learn from the, the sweet child of mine approach where we're playing over chords? One thing that we can learn is that actually using the chord tones in our lead playing, yeah. or especially in melodies or little motifs like that, 
is very, very useful. It connects us with the chords. Although melodies can go all over the place, usually there's something which has some bearing against the chord that you're playing. Yeah. So while you could play a whole bunch of notes over a C chord, if you're in C major, usually something's going to connect with that C chord somehow and maybe sort of outline the chords. Now, in this case, you've got this little phrase which essentially is outlining the chords. So it's outlining a G there. Now, here, an F... So I've got the major third from the F as my starting note. Then as I go to the G for the C, that's the fifth of the C. Well, the G. Yeah. 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 So if you are writing something, and again, as we said earlier about what can we use from this, you know, if you're not a slash nut, how are you going to use it? You know, sometimes other people's ideas are kind of like blindingly fascinating and often fascinatingly simple. Yeah. I mean, you take Andy Summers from The Police, for example. When Sting brought him the song Every Breath You Take, it was just chords. Sting didn't have all of that other lovely guitar part and stuff written down that was Andy Summers yeah Yeah. so this thing you hear on the record that was Andy Summers looking at the chord progression and going how can we give that a bit of identity what can we do with that and so having things he took took it in A and added in added the ninth ninth, and then proceeded to do that with every chord Yeah. and you know it's good to have these things in your trick bag so that when something presents itself whether you're playing an originals band and you need to come up with some ideas or sometimes even if you're playing in a covers band and maybe there's two guitar players and you want to come up with something that's an arrangement an arrangement for the two of you all of these things can be quite useful learning to play over chords without playing the whole chord which is really what slash is doing here is kind of an ability and a talent in itself, and actually quite a useful one. Yeah. You don't both need to be bashing away at massive chords. Sometimes one person playing chords underneath, which sounds pretty cool, and somebody outlining those chords with a nice little motif is all you need. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's excellent, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got we've got that side of Slash's playing. Let's look at maybe one more aspect. I was thinking of November Rain, yeah, great tune. Great tune, epic tune, do it off. Now this is where Slash kind of goes on a, an epic sort of guitar journey at the end. And in some respects, I don't know if the guy listened to Gary Moore or not, but there's a distinct Gary Moore flavour to it in my mind, in some respects, although done in a Slash kind of a way. So at the end of November Rain, he has this kind of repeated figure... <laughs> something similar yep and he's got the repeated figure going on a number of times and it's quite it's quite cool (laughs) 
okay, so that's a a bastard jail bit, I think, somehow. Yeah. But having a figure that's maybe a repeated figure, but a melodic figure, can be quite handy and then kind of branching off into solos. It's good for a phrasing thing, isn't it? It's that keeps returning back to that. Yes, it's like a event. theme. We would probably refer to it as a theme. Yeah. Now, the reason I mentioned the Gary Moore connotation it's because Gary Moore used to do this quite a lot. So he would start something like Still Got the Blues. sort of idea so the slash way of doing things there with with november rain returning to something and playing it over and over again yeah is is no bad idea yeah yeah uh good for the listener it is it's good for the listener and also as a soloist it keeps you a bit grounded so you don't stray too far from the path i've used it in the past when i've played songs like purple rain where you've got that bit at the end, you know. classic as you know i'm a teacher and uh they always talk about don't give a kid a blank piece of paper they leave the paper <laughs> yeah yeah leave the paper spit it all over you put it in yeah. pens and spit it up at the ceiling and, try and stick it to the ceiling <laughs> try and get um boxes on there and a bit of structure and a bit of guidance and mm. stuff it does that for your solo that's right and that thing with the, the november rain melody Rather than, again, trying to haplessly, tirelessly give you every single note, it's more like I'm trying to give you an idea. So when you're playing over something, something sort of creeping back in, and it can sometimes happen in the strangest ways. 
one song we cover in the band is the Tom Petty song called Running Down a Dream. Oh, it's brilliant. It's an awesome (laughs) song. It's a real simple song. But one of the little motifs, the only real motif, apart from the bit where the vocals come in in the bridge and it goes, woohoo, woohoo. Yeah. Apart from that, the other little guitar thing. Yeah. That little motif repeating itself, popping its head up every now and then, yeah, is great. It just pops itself up before every verse and in between some of the breaks. And it's a cool little thing. And having a repeated melody, if you are doing a solo in this case, having that repeated melody and then going off from that repeated melody is no bad thing. It's a nice little thing to return back to. And as I say, keep your yeah, audience interested. And you're going to hit the right chord, aren't you, as well? It shows you're listening and it shows that it ties together. It all ties in like together. It all sort of yeah. works together. But have a listen to November Rain. If you can listen to a really good live one, there's some really good live versions out there. They're well worth sort of listening to and, and looking at. You've got to bear in mind, when we consume a song, and when I say consume, I mean it's packaged for us yeah. in a format that we like. We can listen to it on our phone or our iPad or stereo if you're about 160 years old. LPs. Apparently, vinyl sounds better. That's what I've heard. Yeah, I hear that too. What are your thoughts on that quickly? Does vinyl sound better? I've never had a really, really good quality stereo which plays records. I've had fairly decent CD players. And so I'm not really, you know, we had a gramophone when I was a kid. I mean, everything sounds crap on that, you know. But as a kid, you're just happy you've got something you can play music on. I I sound like I was born before the war or something. I remember a gramophone. Gramophone. Missed out the whole LP phase. Just went straight from gramophone (laughs) to CD. There and I was a boy. I had a wonderful time, you see, because we would go to the music (laughs) shop and and we'd see all these lovely guitars and afterwards we'd just get on a bus and go home. (laughs) (laughs) Did you buy one? You couldn't afford anything like that, but we did some apple bobbing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, went home and listened to the gramophone. Right. Same song every time. Had a wonderful time. I didn't miss the lack of bass. I was just happy to hear music. <laughs> but oh, yeah, we, we we had a <laughs> we had a woeful you know excuse for our, for a record player really. And so I don't know. I guess on a record deck, it, things could sound pretty cool. I guess probably a bit warmer maybe than on CDs. The digital format can be quite a cold format, can't it? But I mean, yeah. we've kind of got used to the way it rolls. I've got quite good memories of listening to my dad's LPs, but I never really forked out the money to have my own record player and everything. And but I do have quite fond memories of going through all his LPs, and you know maybe that's partly to do with the sound it made. I don't know. You know what? When I was a, when I was a kid, at one point I don't know how we came across this or inherited this piece of junk, but we, not only did we have a kind of a, a really cheap and cheesy gramophone which we got given. But we inherited one of these things like old record players were, which was a cabinet and had built-in speakers and a built-in record player. Don't know if it come from my nan or where it come Goodness, from. Goodness, yeah. But as, as a kid, the fun yeah. was in either putting a record on the wrong speed. Hey, listen, they, yeah, they yeah. sound like Mickey Mouse. Yeah. 
alternatively, placing your toy cars on the turntable and then putting it up to the oh, first yeah, speed possible and watching them fling off. <laughs> I bought one LP. Do you remember Star Trekking Across the Universe? I wonder how many of our listeners remember that, but um, I had that and I put it on so frequently that I, I distinctly remember the time when my my dad broke and uh, just walked over to the LP, kind of, you know, quite good-naturedly just took it off and went, snap. Listen <laughs> 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 to it so many times on repeat, me and my sister. Um, he'd had enough. He'd had enough. I did buy an LP once secondhand. That's how much of a music nut I was when I was a teenager in terms of buying sort of new CDs and stuff. Yeah. And it was Rainbow. It was a Rainbow oh, yeah. album. Great. And it was called Bent Out of Shape. And it was the very last Rainbow album that they did before they broke up. Right. Jolene Turner on vocals. And it had uh, Richie Blackmore on guitar, of course. Roger Glover, I think, was on yeah. bass. All these great great players like i couldn't get the cd the album had been discontinued yeah so my only way to get it was go to a second hand store and buy it on lp so Super. i did <laughs> i bought it street of dreams great track look excellent. it up folks excellent well thanks very much for that dan that's really really uh you know loads of really great tips about slash there um, I shall be uh, looking into all of those a bit more over the... Uh... Don't slash on your guitar. Oh, I won't slash on my... Even if it's on fire. Particularly if there's well, lights of Maybe you're allowed if it is. You know, <laughs> apply wet wipes afterwards. Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> I just tried to imagine my PRS on fire. Like, a yellow ah. PRS. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> oh, right, no See worries. you next time. See you later. Stay tuned for more episodes, jams, improvisation ideas and well-informed thoughts about amps, pedals and guitar tone. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, find us on SoundCloud or see our website on tunein-toneup.com. Here you'll find show notes, tabs and further research and resources. It's also a good place to get in touch. We hope you're finding these lessons as interesting and as useful as I do and if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear them. (laughs) 